Hi, this is the AI Assisted Organization podcast with Implement AI. I'm your host or co-host, Piers Linney, a co-founder of Implement AI. And my co-host is Alok. Hi, Piers. Uh, hello, Alok. You're in Manchester today, I understand. That's right. In um was sunny yesterday. It was sunny Manchester. Today it's a bit more like in the north, which is all good. I, I grew up near here. But I'm here for an AI conference, which is quite cool. So in the afternoon, it's all about AI and business in society and some really interesting panelists and attendees. So I'm really looking forward to that. So we've got quite a bit to get through today. We've got, we'll talk about beyond the AI hype. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of noise. Is it going to be this trough of disillusionment? What's going to happen there? I'm going to touch on uh, EU law just a little bit because that's going to affect uh, policies as well. We've been looking at this week personal AI and also how personal AI is going to interact with corporate AI. Because, yeah. you know, the, you might have an AI that represents you and then it represents business or things or organizations you want to interact with. And also we're going to focus on quite a bit on looking inside the AI-assisted organization. What does that look like and what does that actually mean? And then we're going to have a talk about um, the AI of the week, although we are cheating slightly because we don't want. And then we're going to uh, go through our event detail, which is kind of sold out, but Alox managed to find a few more, a bit more space, a few more chairs. Let's get into it. Perfect. No, it's so, sounds good. So beyond the AI hype, we'll touch on this. So we, we've been talking to, and I mean, Implement AI is growing very quickly, and we're talking to lots of organizations of different sizes about the hype and the noise. And, you know, and our view is, and we say this all the time, is that this is not a typical hype cycle, right? This is fundamental systemic change for the long term. What we just don't know is, you know, when will the next breakthroughs come along? You know, will they consistent? Will they keep coming? Will there be a bit of time before we see the next big, you know, like a chat GPT launch or something like that? And lots of organizations are sort of looking at thinking, well, when do we go? When do we start investing? And our view is always that, you know, this ship is leaving the harbor and you need to make sure you're on it. If you're left on the key side, it's going to be very, very difficult to catch up. So the hype cycle, there is some noise. We're making that clear. But we're trying to focus on how do you actually implement this, aren't we, a lot? Yeah, 100%. So let's give an example. So imagine it's the websites have just arrived. And imagine a business is like thinking, should I go online or should I not go online? And the more they wait to see what a final more complex website might look like. The companies that actually started with the website, maybe experimented with a few things, started selling, started getting new customers, they're learning and growing much, much more versus someone that's trying to wait two, three years before thinking, oh, let me invest in a full-blown website. It's a, it's a process, peers, isn't it? Like all the businesses we work with, even ranging from, you know, smaller businesses with like two operators, ranging up to, you know, 500 of people working in the company, you can all benefit and grow. The question is, do you want to get on that road or not, basically, isn't it? So. And I think what we're sort of learning is that in most cases, quite often, you've got, you know, early adopters, you've got the kind of the middle, and then you've got the laggards, those that take time. And what's interesting is that, you know, companies, especially larger ones, they're getting in first, they're getting early, they see the opportunity, or they see the existential risk, or it's just a fear of the unknown, or phobia, fear of being replaced. You're seeing people invest in it. So our advice is that, yes, there is noise, yes, there is a bit of a hype cycle, but Within that, this is systemic change. I mean, you know, I use, I use this technology every day. Every day, it astounds me in terms yeah. of productivity benefits that I'm extracting from using it. No matter what I do, what I think of, most of the things I do tend to be, you know, sort of cognitive labor. And it's just unbelievable. So you need to really think about embedding this in your business as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that's the key point, right? Because this is a kind of technology that once you know how to use it, you can gain significant productivity quite quickly. I mean, yesterday we had a, a call with quite a large organization and they were 
one of the head lawyers there was quite interested in like how one of the juniors had used it for a task and done things quite quickly. And he quite he was said, I realized very quickly, I have to allow this. And we were just saying that you just need to put the right processes in place to have a more predictable output. So I think the key thing here is like, you're going to benefit in all the different areas. And we can go into a bit deeper on that inside the AI assisted organization. But yes, 100%, just start to engage and start to progress forward. So let's touch it just very quickly. Um, I'm a lawyer, ex-lawyer, can't help myself. But also it affects policies on the, the EU law and AI, which you may have read about now in the UK. We're not in the EU, depends where you're watching this. But it will absolutely, I can see our legislation will track this in in, uh, in many ways. And this is the draft version of the AI Act, which has been agreed upon. And it's been negotiated by the Council of the European Union um, between the member states. And it's quite interesting in terms of what they're trying to do. So some of it makes absolute sense. But the rules are trying to establish obligations providers to kind of kind of look in what's the level of risk that AI creates and how do you how do you deal with that? How do you sort of... How do you manage it? There's some systems they want to ban, so things are going to manipulate cognitive behavior. So, you know, so getting people addicted, although I think algorithms do that quite well already, but getting things addicted to uh, apps or particular types of um, content, things that classify people based on their behavior. So these kind of idea, I think they have these in China, actually, where you get points, actually, for your behavior within the community or society at large. And that gives you various freedoms and various rights. Socioeconomic status or personal characteristics, anything that classifies you uh, based on that and real-time biometric identification i mean again there are places where this exists and then also the, the big ones are the high risk so i was looking at the notes here is systems used in products falling under sort of safety legislation and also high risk systems are going to be assessed and probably banned actually but the most important one i think for now is generative ai i think what they're trying to do there is say that anything that's been created by ai that you should be aware of that now how you police that and what that line is and to tweak it if you change it, um, what generated by AI actually means in the end will be quite interesting. You could have disclosures all over the place on everything, on photos, on images, on text. You can imagine it become a mess, a bit like um, sort of a, yeah, a bit like cookie pop-ups, which has become a complete blight on the internet, really. Don't we see the, what, they're, what they're trying to achieve? But they want you to sort of publish summaries as well. And then that's the high and then limited risk of systems where minimal transparency requirements. So essentially what they're trying to do is, is sort of segment risk of AI to society and individuals and then apply legislation to it that makes it either one extreme is ban it, the other extreme is make sure you know that you're dealing with an AI. Um, so this is quite interesting, I think, and this is something, the reason we were picking this up really is because yeah. this is going to flow into your policies and what we try and do is design policies and governance exactly. and this will have to flow into it no 100 percent. and the way to kind of like think about things is like in many regulated sectors like in medical dental you know like in finance they have like sort of like general principles and safeguarding and the ways that you should kind of you work with people's data and information and their interests so to be honest this is not very different from those kind of like general principles which are there but the fact that these things are being articulated it just means that if you've got the right approach in place from the top down, you can then, you know, disseminate with, with, with good confidence, basically, you know, so you can move forward. So that's one to watch. Um, it's what's most interesting, probably, is that the fact that regulators are actually talking about this. They're usually five to 50 years behind where society or economies are. So we'll keep an eye on that one. The next thing to move on to is, uh, which is really fascinating, is personal AI. It's one of Alok's favourite yeah. subjects. And I think one of the interesting things is about having these personal co-pilots these they keep calling them the jarvis the kind of iron man support and then how they're going to interact corporate ais and will they represent you so we've been um, looking at these and, and using a few of them 
just to see how we interact and how, how good they are, whether they can actually deliver any value. It's a journey. So I think like the way we would look at it is like, if you imagine the Amazon homepage, you go to the Amazon homepage and it shows you what's relevant to you based on your previous behavior, cookies, purchasing, everything like that. So that's like a small simulated version. Your own behaviors and your own actions shape what is visible to you, okay? But that's through cookies and clicking. With a personal AI, imagine, for example, you've got a personal assistant and that personal assistant knows everything about you. They know what kind of food you like. They know what kind of travel you enjoy. They know what your preferences are for for lunch and for holidays, for meetings, everything like this. They know everything, right? So then if someone makes a request to your personal assistant, they've got a good idea whether you want to deal with it or not deal with it or where to flow it. Now, let's take that idea at 100 exit, basically, where you've got the personal assistant is not a personal assistant, it's your personal AI. And over your life, over your walking, your Apple Watch steps, your everything, it knows about you. It knows that you're on a healthy diet, but then you like to go for a pizza on a Wednesday, basically. It knows that from your Instagram or everything like this. So what I'm trying to say that if you've got a system which knows all that about you, and then you then set the priorities where like what it can disclose and what it can't disclose, that personal AI over time will start interacting with company AI. So imagine you've got a bank or you've got someone else like this, and they're like, can we have access to Alloc's details on this, this, or this? Based on some security verification, it could then disclose those things. What this does is it frees you up from a lot of administration of like, I need this, I know information, just passing the same information over and over again in many places. So the opportunities that arise is like, there will be opportunities for companies or different providers to provide some kind of personal AI, which can help guide the person in that dimension. So there could be a personal health AI, for example, or a personal financial AI and all that kind of thing. And all these sorts of things lead to very interesting opportunities, but also freeing up people from cognitive labor like we talked about. I think what these, I mean, these things will probably know your emotional state, your mental health, you know, your family, the whole situation. So they're going to understand you in ways in which, you know, some algorithms, some website trying to collect data. Although, you know, things like Facebook uh, do know a lot about you, but these AIs, it will be an order of magnitude um, more personal. And then what you can do is, or the AI can do actually, say, look, you're here and you need to get here. That could be fitness, mental health, emotional state, you know, in terms of things you need to buy to go on holiday with or your camping trip. And then automatically go and suggest things and go out there. It's going to make selling to these things quite difficult because they're going to be ruthlessly um, optimized. So you know, there's some kind of sales banter probably isn't going to work. They're just going to know what is the outcome I want and what is the mo- what is the optimal way of getting there? Still go to procurement, really, isn't it, Piers, right? Like, uh, rather than like thinking, oh, I want to buy this, I want to buy that, it'll be like, the, I require these things, let me find the best thing. You were talking about this in a microcosm where you said on ChatGPT, you could use the plugin of, let's say, Expedia, and you could say, like, show me flights to this place based on the temperature, based on this, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so where it will go out and only show you what's relevant to you, that's going to kind of expand even more as we talk about in this way, isn't it, like over time? So I think the key thing to just think about here is that, like, this behavior is being rapidly adopted. Something in New York that's happening now is AI dating apps. I don't know if you've heard about this, but that's a different dimension where basically humans can date an AI, which would basically be like a virtual boyfriend or virtual girlfriend. I mean, we don't need to go into that too much detail, but like what I'm trying to say is that like people are increasingly engaging more and more and more for relationships, for information. So whether you, if you as a business are thinking whether or not to engage in this, everybody's already kind of going in that direction. So you need to start thinking about how you can kind of engage in, in, in some dimension to be relevant, really. And they're quite basic. We were using one, is it Pi, which is one of the yeah. 
the founders of um, DeepMind, is it? Yeah, exactly. Inflection AI now. And, and, and that's, it's trying to give you, an, an, and I was kind of pushing its boundaries, you know, being a, <laughs> a parent with young children asking questions about, what about this? What about that? Just pushing its boundaries. And it's quite clever in the way which is, you'll have a conversation they won't go too far down any particular um it's a thinking partner dead ends or yeah or sort of difficult subjects which can be quite frustrating because often that's what you want isn't it in a safe environment you want to have those conversations but it's trying to avoid difficult they got is trying to avoid bias yes and, and and that's trying to actually work more as a thinking partner and someone you can talk through a difficult situation with so it's very early days and that's just as interesting to see how this is kind of evolving essentially well i mean to summarize on this really we are all going to have a jarvis and this is in in the not too distant future or a siri and they're, they're going to get yeah they're getting more complicated over time we're all going to have a personal co-pilot that's going to help us just like in business to optimize our personal lives and they're going to interact at some point corporate AIs trying to, you know, sell you stuff. Yeah, 100%. Let's move on. Um, one of my favorite subjects is, I've been doing some uh, keynotes on this, is, um, and we won't send this too long, but it's this idea of the, it came from an NVIDIA um, presentation. And I've been doing a lot of talks on the, the, the fourth industrial revolution, you know. The first one was kind of steam power, physical labor. The second one was more about, you know, consumer boom, electronics. And the third one was kind of web, web one to web, web three. And now you've got the fourth one, which is really around intelligence. And if you think about the factories of the past, they were these large places, you know, in, creating products and churning them out at scale. And what was interesting about this came from the, the NVIDIA presentation is the factory of the future looks quite different. The factory of the future essentially is a data center. And one thing that NVIDIA um, made quite clear, which is very interesting, is that you know you used to optimize the capability of a computer because it was a, an individual, it used to be like a desktop on-premise. Now you're building these systems and this technology and this hardware to optimize at the scale of a very large data center. And they are essentially, the data centers are going to be the factories of the future. If you think about the amount of, because you know, you're not going to do this compute and you're not going to do it at home, are you? You're not going to build it yourself. You can't afford to. It's got to be done at great scale. So all this cognitive labor that we're talking about that's going to transition and be carried out by AI is going to be done in these data centers. A lot of the programming, the, the cognitive um, input into robots eventually, and the data feedback and the data storage will end up in these data centers. So what you're going to see is explosion of, uh, you know, of CPU to GPU data centers, uh, and they're going to really be where everything really happens. The, the end product, the production line, will just be AIs and robots just churning things out. The thinking is going to happen elsewhere. No, 100%. And that's where like the companies of the future are going to become more, smaller and smaller. I kind of saw one thing where they said that like this... As, as you'll kind of get to a situation where you've got like the CEO, you've got like the product officer, and then you've got like the AI officer, and then AI is doing everything else, for example, right? You know, like you'll get more and more like micro companies powered by these AI agents, AI systems. And like I said, we're at just a level one right now, you know, like uh, what gets quite interesting is when you've got like one AI agent talking with another AI agent, and you can see the discussion, and then you can come to a, like a third conclusion. It's, it's, it's exciting times for sure. And that's where it links a little bit back into the law bit, because you're going to, let's face it, right, to have an, an AI factory of the future, you've got to be a large organization with serious scale and capital. So you are looking at the NVIDIAs, the Microsoft, the Googles, the Amazons, you know, there, there aren't that many of the Facebooks, there aren't that many of them. So in terms of where that power begins to um, sort of aggregate, we need to uh, watch that as a society, that's going to be quite an interesting thing to do. So that was my, that's my favorite subject, factories of the future. What we wanted to do really on this pod is focus on inside the AI assisted yeah. organization, right? So there's a lot of 
chat and conversation about, you know, implementing AI. A lot of stuff you see is endless. You know, we, we, we watch this stuff, we track it. That's our job too, so you don't have to. And a lot of it is, you know, consumer stuff, uh, some SaaS that proves a clever point. But has it really got any real significance? Does it really matter to your business? Can you really build this thing into a workflow? You can't have 20 different SaaS products that you're paying 20, 30, even more a month for, you know, that don't really talk to each other. So the question is, is inside an AI-assisted organization, what does it look like? And, and how do you transition from the kind of human-first world to this AI-assisted world? And that's one thing we've been looking at. I mean, we've seen some, it's, you have conversations with people, don't we, all the time. We had a chat, a conversation with a chap um, yesterday. He's got a business that does training. And he was saying that he started, you know, he had a person making YouTube shorts, like five of them a, a day, I think it was, churns out content. And they were doing some other social media management. He said they completely automate the role. So he said to them, you need to retrain and work out what else you can do to add value because what you were doing now makes no sense. They're just quick wins. We're also looking at big wins, what what you call the unfair advantages, aren't you? Yes, exactly. I think this is the key thing. So like to talk about the AI-assisted organization, what you want to think about is you want to think about two dimensions. So you want to think of like externally, so facing to customers, what is something new and unique that you could provide in some form of enhanced digital experience for your customer, a way of learning more about them, something which can become seamless through like an AI um, you know, like framework or experience. So then you can be more personalized to them and you can develop some kind of unfair advantage. And there's different tools or different things you can kind of, we've seen in different industries where we're actually working with some places to help them do exactly that. Because if the competition has to like do normal adverts, then get them to a phone call and then that phone call leads to another phone call, it's a quite clunky experience. Whereas if you can kind of go into a smooth conversation interface and then based off the learnings of that, recommend and show different things it can be much more engaging so that's externally focused internally focused you've got basically like four departments you've got your marketing you've got sales you've got delivery and you've got operations so within those four areas you'll have different workflows which will be like let's say content production workflow you're just talking about one for example there it can also personalize the ways you communicate with the customer it could be through more personal emails with a small video explaining a case study based on what they actually are looking for, or it could be, you know, with with different elements within that area. So that's like sales. Delivery becomes quite interesting because delivery could be many different units. Where there is normally a lot of administration of filling out forms, asking for different things, onboarding the customer, fact find, these things can be quite clunky and not a great experience. And that's where an AI-assisted flow of either a chatbot or it could be like a, a guided consultation can help you. So that's like there. And then operations is like your meetings, your HR, your recruitment. All of these can be AI-assisted. So I think this is just to giving you a picture. Like the way we look at it is there's a whole matrix and there's a whole series of workflows which can drive a lot of impact. And the interesting thing, Piers, that we've noticed is how similar are these workflows across many different companies? Like, I mean, it's it's really kind of the same sorts of things you see just in a, in a slightly different way, right? Yeah, most most businesses, at the end of the day, the, the P&L, the process, like you were saying, from sales and marketing you know, to delivery, maybe customer service as well, they're, they're very, very similar. Yeah. And I think especially in small and medium-sized enterprises, a lot of the pain points are very, very similar as well. What, what we're trying to do is say, look, these are your workflows in your business today. That's where you are. That's where you want to get to. And can you bridge that gap today? Now, in some cases, it can be difficult to because you're stuck in some legacy system, a database, some, some particular industry-specific CRM or, or practice management software, whatever that might be. So are there APIs or can you build APIs or 
get them to often they don't want to or can you do some kind of you know robotic process automation to get the data out of there which you know is, is, isn't the ideal way of doing it but sometimes it, it's worth the investment to make it work and a lot of organizations so really it's about looking at workflows and how do you automate them and the idea is like you were just touching upon there is to it's not really to take people out of your business it's to grow your business without adding people exactly and the point is i always talk about this value pyramid don't i is that your technology is moving up it so you are pushing people up to the top where you have to add value and the way to look at it is and generative ai is pushing this very quickly is that as that pyramid fills up with the ability of AIs to do cognitive labor, i.e. You know, knowledge work, you've then got to have a team that can do the knowledge work that the AIs can't do. And that means thinking a bit more, being a bit more creative, being a bit more personalized, um, thinking about what your customers actually need. How do you delight your customers in, in ways that only a human can currently um, comprehend and do, deliver? And that might be personal interaction, more of that, because you've got more time. That's what this is really about. It's not, you're not, going to, you're not going to get to a fully automated, you know, AI-driven business in the next probably 24 months, unless you've got a very, very, very simple business and very digital. Um, that's not going to happen. This is absolutely a journey, isn't it? No, 100%. And like I was talking with a friend yesterday who works in recruitment, for example, and um, we were discussing specifically like how AI could help impact and support some of the different areas. And there are so many workflows which people have to spend time on, which could be better managed, freeing you up to do the, the value added bit that only the human can do, which is influencing, creating that engagement, building relationships, building network, you know, that's where you can add more value. So if you can spend twice as much time during the week doing that versus someone else, you're just going to be in a better place. So the quick wins, uh, well, not quick wins, that's where the real work is. But then you've got the, what you, what you like to call the unfair advantages, which is slightly different, isn't it? So this is more yes. looking at your organization, looking at the opportunity and think, okay, what can we build, which is, you know, which does require some developments, but our view is keep it lightweight, always keep it agile. These things move very quickly. What can we build yep. that changes the game? Exactly. What can create a profound value shift for the customer so for example i mean we, we can give an example like so we've got a system which we built where it can help during a guided consultation so if you think about it Don't in spoil most... it that's our ai of the week we've chosen our own okay okay okay, okay. <laughs> <Fair enough>. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, so you, you, you've got you've got like other other systems where okay let's say during the onboarding process for a customer you start to understand a lot of information. And the thing is, you capture all that information, but you don't actually act on all of it. Let's just say you capture one part of the customer's history, um, financial history, let's just say, for example, and you don't currently have a product which can monetize or deliver any value in that area. And that sits on a form somewhere. With your own unfair advantage, potentially, you could actually understand and recommend other options or even liaise with other people to basically deliver more value to the customer it's because they just deal with one person and at the same time you increase your customer lifetime value there's so many things you can do every time we have these consultations i already noticed like three or four different opportunities which could you know 2x or 3x your customer value and that's that makes a big difference basically you know so what's your view though so you know i mean it's all question really but what's your view of the fact that eventually a lot of this you can more and more commoditize. So essentially, you know, right now you can be clever. It's it's a it's an unfair advantage. But then, so, you know, not too distant future, you can talk to a an AI in natural language and give it a target outcome, and off some agents go and deliver it. And that might mean writing code. So, so how do you see companies um, maintaining a competitive advantage as this intelligence becomes commoditized? So it's through a differentiated customer experience and continually 
upskilling and upgrading that the AI delivery of that, basically. But that's a constant. That's going to be like an arms yeah, race, isn't it, almost? 100%. But the thing is, let's be really frank here. Most companies aren't going to implement this in a meaningful way. And the ones that do, if you keep iterating and adding more value and it's an easier experience, I mean, let's look at an example. Um, actually, yes, it was an example from yesterday. Like I, my friend of mine wants to was was in Morecambe actually, and he wanted to kind of go there for um, some some meeting or something like this. And he was trying to book on Booking.com, and there was only two or three re- um, hotels on Booking.com there basically. Even though there's loads of bed and breakfast, you either had the high end place at like four hundred quid a night or whatever like that, or you got like somewhere at like you know, forty quid. There was nothing in in between. And the reason is many of the businesses said I don't want to give Booking.com ten percent or whatever like that. So then they're invisible. The thing is, he's not phoning up 50 places to buy booking, basically. You know, like, so what I'm trying to say is that, like, there's the people that just don't engage, they will not benefit because you're essentially invisible from that terrain. So I don't see this being an issue. And, and the ones that offer a better experience and, and upgrade it will just, you'll just take more business, basically. So it's the ones that understand the power of, of this technology yeah. and, imp- and implement it in a, in a way in which um, it creates value for all, all stakeholders. But the thing is that if you're not doing this, you're not thinking about it. So this, this actually is it. So quickly gonna before it was being found on the internet, right? So the next one's going to be, can you be found by an AI? So like, because if your business doesn't have a way to transact or communicate digitally in that way, you, your connection is closed, isn't it? So how could someone kind of deal with it? So I think this is the way you've got to kind of like think about it. Because as these things shift and as they become more popular, you know, we've got like crawlers you know robots which will like crawl the internet and search and index all the pages this is going to shift as we shift away from basically the web page to a conversation first interface as we were talking about before so let's move on to um which is kind of linked to this and also talk about this sort of ai of the week is conversation first interface which is something that i'm actually more i'm surprised that even the fact we're using chatbots right which is text essentially given the fact that the text to speech translation now is pretty good that is very good why we're still typing <laughs> why why we're not already just having natural language conversations with these um ais for that but that is the future isn't it that's where this is going the, the keyboard is you know these i've got a few in front of me here it's going to be a thing of the past look at the apple vision pro right it's a step in towards that spatial computing and everything so it's i mean we can speak much faster than we can type and um, the, the the keyboard is a, a remnant it's it's going to go over time basically you know so well, talk, talk me through conversation first interface then yeah so basically the way everything is kind of going to go in the general direction is you're going to talk like in speech with anything you want to do and you will give it context just like you're talking to an assistant or a team member so you'd be like okay computer um i want to design a house today for example let's just say okay you're, you're planning an extension in your house and um, so it'll load up the, the elements for that and then it'll be like okay it'll ask you questions like what kind of what kind of materials do you want what kind of like um area is it what's the location of the place and it will guide you through those things so it's it be- literally becomes a conversation so it's not like do this and then execute this and write this program for this like before we had to learn the language of speaking to computers with programming machine um, you know code now computers learn natural language to communicate with us so simply put you will talk and then there'll be an intelligent agent language model and there'll be a database of whatever it needs to access essentially and then if it can't access it from your database it will then connect into apis from other places so that's where things are going to go you're not going to have like lots of windows lots of um, software products different things like this it will increasingly go to like that one interface as we just talked about basically it's going to be interesting i'm also fascinated to see you know you've got these millions of alexas or you know Google devices, the littering homes, you know, people use for or to play music or set an alarm. So there's yeah. a 
and an interface there that if you underline that with a large language model, becomes super powerful. So I'm still waiting for the announcements about what they're going to do with those devices. Now they're going to actually connect those to a large language model. And then what are you going to be able to do with it? Because that's going to be super powerful. No, 100%. And I think there's going to be like really exciting things to come. And that's one of the things that I love about this space, because we're literally seeing the kind of like rapid evolution of everything. The cognification of everything is just happening, you know, in, in, in homes, in, in workplaces, in schools, you know, so many different things. So let's go on to the, we'll, we'll keep thinking about AI of the week, but then every time we look at it, there's like every day it changes. Um, so we decided to cheat this week and uh, talk about one that we made, which we may be able to actually uh, show a picture of. But the AI of the week is our sort of, it's more of an MVP, wasn't it? It was more of a, a demo of consultation. Exactly. To show pr- the art of the possible. Because one of the conversations that we always get is like, but what can you do? Because people just think about chat GPT, for example. And what we put together was a system which essentially allows a guided consultation. So to kind of like frame it, imagine you're an accountant, you're a financial advisor, you're an architect, you're a builder, you're whatever it is, doctor, and you have to have a consultation with a customer, client, or patient. And you need to ask them questions. But then based on what they answer, you are going to then ask different guided questions. So built a system, which is for a medical application, where the the doctor starts asking the patient questions, the full transcription comes at the bottom of the conversation. But then based on the the content of the the patient saying, like, I have a sore calf muscle or whatever it is, questions arise for the doctor to ask. So it's actually telling the doctor what to do. And then based on the answers to that, it will prompt other questions. So what's really nice is it this is the kind of tool which upskills like a junior doctor into a more expert consultation doctor. But the same thing can be done for any financial advisor. For example, let's say you're asking questions about their retirement aspirations or their financial goals or different things like this. It could then ask you, it could show you prompts of questions to ask in a different way. And then we, we, we showed this to a few people and we had extremely interesting responses back from, you know, people that deal with wills, people that deal with like different type of documents, people deal with like different elements. Because this kind of consultation co-pilot, I think as a concept is very, very, very cool, basically. You know? Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of upskills your probably less um, experienced members of your team to be able to do you know the things that the more expensive people are doing. And also, the reason you pay people more money is they don't miss things. They, they see opportunities. And this will be sort of open to and we'll understand what they are. And then as we'll have the conversation, it will sort of um, find them and highlight them so they're not missed. So added value there. We're going to develop that for a number of our clients. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's that that leads quite nicely into like understanding like that our whole goal at Implement AI is basically to help people understand the art of the possible and make it as concrete and tangible. And um, if people are interested in learning more, we're actually doing an event, Piers, aren't we? It's nearly sold out, but yeah, talk us yeah, through Yeah, so it. on July 5th um, in London, we've, we've got an event. Yeah, it did sell out and I managed to kind of get a few extra seats basically by extending the room backwards. Um, but it is a hard capacity. Once we're out, we're out. And there are some digital passes available as well. Um, and basically what we'll be going through is like for um, small, medium-sized enterprises and people in, in business finance, exactly what you need to know and how you can unlock AI within your organization. So if you're interested in learning more about it, you know, check out the link for the event ticket and, um, you know, either join us virtually or physically, basically. Yeah, and you can find it on our LinkedIn profile as well. Right, so let's leave it there for today. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground. This is the AI-assisted organization podcast and me, Paisley, Alok Sugar, and we'll see you same place, same time next week. You can see, if you're listening on audio, you can also watch. See you then. See you then.